1: Oregon fans what is going on it is Friday September 30th and welcome back to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to tune in and talk some ball with us whether you're listening on podcast platform or if you are here live on YouTube youtube.com slash Oregon football Max Torres is where you can find us we are coming at you with our Oregon football mailbag. Uh, so for those of you guys that are joining us here in the live chat, definitely want to encourage you to hop into the live chat and leave us a comment, leave us a discussion point, or uh, you know, best case, ask us a question, and I'm going to do my best to answer it. I already have a couple uh, that have come in. From the great people that follow me on Twitter, uh, I always like to put my call out there on Twitter at mtorres sports, and uh, that way I can just kind of gather up the questions and, and see what you guys want to talk about uh, in the mailbag episode. Love to do these; trying to get on a weekly cadence with them. Before we get into today's episode, just wanted to take an opportunity to plug a couple previous episodes. Just yesterday, I had Kevin Borba, the the publisher of All Cardinal, the Stanford site for Fan Nation Sports Illustrated. Um, So he does what I do, but for Stanford, I had him on to preview Oregon and Stanford this weekend. So if you haven't already, definitely go ahead and give that a watch on my YouTube channel or give it a listen. And uh, as always, we greatly appreciate it when you like, comment, subscribe, and share all that good stuff. But with all that being said, let's hop into our first question of the day. First question comes from Rick S. Rick asks, do we have a good chance of landing an O line commit in 2023? Yeah, that's been the big recruiting question really uh for quite a while now. Um, you know, uh when when the Ducks have just kind of had a, a couple of issues, you know, missing on a couple guys uh, on the recruiting trail, some of those offensive line targets. And I think that was a bit of a surprise because we saw Coach Clem come in, and he, and then the Ducks got Kavika Rogers out of Hawaii, and they got Josh Connerly out of Seattle over uh, over USC, which was a huge, huge recruiting win. Um, trying to adjust my lighting here; my blinds are making it a little too bright. There we go; it's a little bit better. Um, but yeah, the the offensive line has absolutely been the the biggest question um for Oregon as far as recruiting goes right now and there's a couple of guys that uh we have some names to track some people to keep an eye on um and some of them are actually coming to town this weekend to visit for the Oregon game so I have a a list of recruiting visitors over on Ducks Digest definitely go check that out but um I think one of the biggest ones we can talk about actually is uh from Brooks here Brooks is saying I hope we get Spencer Fano uh, looks like Spencer Fano is going to be in town for a visit uh, with Oregon this upcoming weekend. Uh, he recently placed Oregon in his top four, along with the BYU Cougars, the Utah Utes, and the Michigan Wolverines. So Oregon's in a good spot here with Spencer Fano. I remember I saw him uh, last summer, summer 21, at Saturday Night Live, and he was really doing a good job holding his own uh, against some pretty elite defensive targets, defensive prospects, uh, Cyrus Moss being one of them. He's over at Miami now, as we all know. But Spencer Fano is going to be uh, a really interesting target to to watch for Oregon because he is a little bit lighter of frame. Um, let me see what he is actually at right now. Um, let's see. So he's at 6'5", 270. So he's a little bit lighter for your typical offensive tackle uh, playing over there at Timview in Provo, Utah. Um, But I think he's absolutely at or near the top for Oregon in terms of offensive line targets that are still on the board. Uh, So Spencer Fano is going to be one to watch. Uh, I think with with Oregon, part of the recruitment, it's not always on the field, but maybe an interesting talking point is how Oregon had performed against BYU on both sides of the ball, running the ball really well and then slowing the ball down, uh, stopping the run rather. Uh, against the Cougars uh, in in Week three, and uh, Week three um, at home in Autzen Stadium. So I think with uh, anytime you're recruiting the guy from Utah, you want to play well against the Utah competition. And so far, Oregon has checked that box by getting that win over BYU. Especially with him uh, coming from Provo, uh, I think that that's definitely a kind of an under underlying you know storyline here. But then the, U- the Utes are going to be another story. They're looking like the real deal. So far, haven't really missed a beat since uh, they won the Pac-12 for the first time last year. And then really wish they would have gotten that win in Florida just for the Pac-12 as a Pac-12 fan. You know, that would have been great to see for the conference. But since then, they've got some some wins over San Diego State, Arizona State last week, I believe it was, and Southern Utah. Um, shout out to Southern Utah. My guy, uh, Spencer McLaughlin, the Locked On Ducks host, is a, a broadcaster for Sp- South Southern Utah. Um, so that was kind of cool to, to see that connection. But I think Spencer Fano is definitely up there. So he's, he's taken his official visit to Utah. And we know that Utah has definitely got a really good beat on that recruitment. I would probably say Utah leads is kind of my my guess, uh, you know, heading into this weekend. But Oregon's getting him at a home game. They're in a really good position to, to really blow Stanford out of the water. I think some of the predictions that you're seeing for that game have been very encouraging. Uh, for for Oregon, in terms of just what most media members like myself think that the Ducks can do in this game, the timing of when they get Stanford. Stanford's defense has struggled. Oregon's offensive line is playing great, hasn't a lot of sack. Um, but so Spencer Fano is definitely that the, the big name to to track here. And um, let's this this next question from Alec is still on the topic of offensive line and kind of broader recruiting. So I wanted to get this to this question from uh, from uh, Alec. He said, "Let's talk recruiting. Where are the offensive line commitments? Watching this O line and seeing the gaps they create, seeing how they protect Knicks, I and other Duck fans would certainly want to maintain a strong offensive line post Cristobal era. What recruits should we expect in 2023? I think another recruit that we need to talk about when we're looking at Oregon's offensive line uh, is Yapani yep- Lalolu." Uh, that is Faope's younger brother. Um, he's out of Farrington High School in Honolulu, Hawaii. He announced that he was going to be taking his official visit to Oregon this weekend. 6'2", 355 pounds, the, the top player out of the state of Hawaii on the 247 Sports Composite. It looks like Arizona and Miami are some of the main competitors there for Oregon with the younger Lalo Laloulu. Um, gosh, that's always a a tough name to say, but maybe if I slow down, I can say it a little bit better. Um, but yeah, Iapani is, is someone that Oregon's tracking. Um, he's one of the big names that's still left on the board in this class and offensive line is absolutely an important position for Oregon to hit on in this 2023 recruiting class. When you look at all the vets that they have along their offensive line, that they are, uh, pretty much positioned to lose after this season. Um, and you never want to see a guy like Steven Jones banged up, but I think it, it's, it's been a, there's been some benefit in the terms, in terms of Marcus Harper, the second, getting a lot of really valuable playing time. Cause he's one of those guys that can come back to Oregon after this season. So even though you never want to see a guy get hurt, um, and, and the ducks certainly missing Steven Jones, uh, looking like it's going to be a little bit more of a long-term injury there for, for Steven, um, it's good to get Marcus Harper some playing time because that means that he'll be. I think you can turn the page to next year more confidently. Um, so that's been good. And then Jackson Powers Johnson getting some some reps is has been big. Dawson Jaramillo, like those are all guys that that look like they could be back next year, uh, but we have to wait for the season to end, and we don't want to project too much. Uh, but uh, yeah, so Faope's brother is is another guy that we want to track here on the offensive line uh, when we're looking at guys. Um, One of the newer offers for Oregon is offensive tackle George Silva out of Fullerton college in Southern California. Um, He actually just received his offer yesterday and uh, he's been a little bit more under the radar, not super, super heavily recruited. uh, Also has an offer from New Mexico state. So I think that maybe this could be like a diamond in the rough type of a deal for the Oregon offensive line staff, as they're still trying to put together some of these pieces in the offensive line class. Uh, so keep an eye out on George Silva. Maybe I can uh, interview him soon and, and get a, and get some some thoughts on his recruitment. Um, another guy that we want to watch, another name along the offensive line is um, is Bryson Hurst. He is a JUCO offensive line prospect out of Mississippi. Um, he is currently playing his his ball at uh, or he did. Wait, I'm sorry. Let me see. Okay, yeah, so he's class of 22, but his profile on, um, on uh, 247s uh, has his high school, but he's from uh, Gautier, uh, Mississippi. I hope I'm saying that right. It kind of looks like it's a French word. Um, but uh, Bryson Hurst is, is a guy that uh, you want to watch for in, um, in uh, this 2023 class. He, he had been at Old Miss, but is no longer uh, with the Rebels. Um, and I, I think that Mississippi is a, a state that's so interesting to watch here in the the recruiting cycle because the, the Ducks haven't recruited Mississippi super hard in the past, but, uh, obviously the big story with Mississippi in this class is Dante Dowdell, the 2023 running back who just puts on a show every week. I think he had something like nine carries for 250 yards last week, so Definitely crucial for I think Oregon to, you know, capitalize on that connection in the in the in the state of Mississippi and see some of these other guys uh that are there. Um for Bryson Hurst, he's listed at 6'6, 320 pounds, a former four-star prospect, just outside the top 10 prospects in the state of Mississippi. So there are some names that we're still tracking here while Oregon tries to fill out the rest of that offensive line. And you would think that their strong play on the field this year is only gonna. Is only going to help make that pitch, e- you know, better. Maybe easier isn't the right word uh, for this Oregon staff, but uh, certainly looks like they're going to continue having strong offensive line play, even with Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal uh, moving out east to Miami uh, to, you know, take take the job over there and uh, get the Hurricanes back on track is is what they're hoping for. Um, I will say there's another offensive lineman that's visiting this weekend. He's 2024, but Brandon Baker is, is somebody to, that uh, Oregon's in a really good spot with early on. It, it feels like his recruitment is kind of just starting to really, really boom. Uh, I talked to him a couple weeks ago at the modern day Milani game, uh, and that modern day offense is just crazy. I'm, I'm trying to get uh, my, my credential field pass taken care of for the modern day St. John Bosco game next week. Uh, but Brandon Baker, if you guys don't know about him, I've talked to, talked to him a couple times, written some stories about him on Ducks Digest. Uh, he is the younger brother of Gary Baker, former Oregon defensive lineman. So obviously that family connection is always going to be good. But USC is on him really hard. And he just got a couple of recent offers from Utah and LSU that I know he is pretty interested in as far as just building those relationships and, and keeping that going. Uh, but he's going to be a big a big guy to watch in 2024 because he is absolutely one of the best offensive line prospects in the country for 2024 as far as other recruits in in 2023 um I think we're still it's it's surprising that it's been a little bit since Oregon's gotten a commitment here in the 2023 class but after you miss out on Blake Nicholson who ended up going to Florida State um and then David Hicks earlier this week there wasn't that much of a surprise that he ended up going to uh ended up going to Texas AM with him being the Texas guy and uh you know their their success on um, on that side of the ball in the trenches. But as far as other prospects to keep going on Alec Richardson's question, uh some of the big names that are still up on the board for Oregon in 2023, Roderick Pleasant, the cornerback from Unipero Serra in Gardena, California, probably the fastest defensive back in the country with that uh, 10.1 hundred time. He's actually going to be visiting uh, in November. It looks like, and he's going to be taking a trip to USC this weekend. So that's a you know not a good development as far as Oregon's concerned. Um, but it's it's still one that's worth mentioning, seeing that he's probably I would think he's probably the last guy that they would take in that secondary since it's already getting pretty full. Um, And then another guy that is is interesting here in the 2023 class is Johnny Bowens, the 2023 defensive lineman from Judson High School in Converse, Texas. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he came out to visit Oregon back in June uh, on the unofficial capacity. And then after his visit to Oregon, he decided to open things back up, back off his commitment to Texas A&M that he held previously. So I think Oregon getting him back on campus is absolutely a good sign. I don't know right now whether that is an official or unofficial visit, um, but either way you cut it, either way you slice it, it it's good that they're getting him back on campus. Um, they're still looking at Mateo Uyungle, obviously, uh, but he's not really in a rush. It's looking like a postseason decision for Mateo. Uh, you can read my recent update on him over on Ducks Digest. That was a couple weeks ago when the Braves came up to Eugene to play at Odson Stadium against Central Catholic. But uh, it looks like, yeah, so Oregon's still very much recruiting and very much involved with Mateo Uyungole here in the 2023 cycle. But Johnny Bowens is still someone that they've kind of kept warm on. But I like this, I like this defensive line, st- uh, haul so far for Oregon in 2023. You got Terrence Green, Tavita Pome, Amari Washington, uh, and then uh, with, with Sam Taimani coming back next year. Uh, that's going to be good for Oregon. You got Ben Roberts and Sir Mellis from the 22 class. So they're really positioned themselves really well along the defensive line. Um, And then I I don't know how much eligibility, I think Casey Rogers has one more season and I don't know how much more, this is his last season rather. uh, And I don't know how much eligibility Jordan Riley has, but Looking at the defensive line position, they are doing a great job. I think you always want to keep bringing in guys off the edge that can get after the passer because that's an area that, that Oregon has obviously been been lacking in terms of just being as consistent as they really want to be. And I think they really can be. Um, but the, the biggest you know areas in this 23 class that we're still looking to see some, some more commits at uh, would definitely be linebacker. They got Jerry Mixon in the fold, but I would say they want more linebackers as well as more offensive linemen. Maybe another um, maybe another receiver. I know that the Ducks are still recruiting uh, DeAndre Moore, uh, the Louisville wide receiver commit from St. John Bosco. Um, so maybe they would get another receiver, but I'm just trying to run through some of those names. Um, okay, let's see. Next question Um Actually, before the next question, I'm going to take a quick break here on the Ducks Dish podcast. You're listening to our Oregon football mailbag. Don't go anywhere. We got more Oregon football chat for you after this.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform. at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome back to the Dust Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres. We are rocking and rolling on a beautiful Friday afternoon, morning rather, still morning, I'm used to, I don't usually do these, these early, maybe that's why, but I want to keep going with our Oregon football mailbag. Uh, Reminder to you guys that are viewing live, feel free to go ahead and ask a question in the live chat and I'll do my best to answer it. But some of these, we have a couple more questions uh, that people wrote in ahead of time. So I want to make sure I get to those. YFZ450Duck uh, asked kind of a two-parter. He asked any targets left for O-line, but I already touched on that. The second part of his question is: Do we hold Furd F-U-R-D Stanford under 80 rushing yards, 250 passing yards? Yeah, I think um, I think I would be. 80 yards is pretty is pretty stingy, um, but their run defense has been lights out for a while now. So far this season, so I think you definitely feel comfortable in Oregon's run defense. Uh, with the pieces that they have there, they're going to be without DJ Johnson. I'm curious to see how much that impacts things, but Stanford also has two tackles that are questionable to go in this one. So uh, if those two tackles aren't able to play, I know one of them was able to, and one of them missed the game against Washington last week. It it could be a field day for Oregon's front seven uh, against Stanford. I think that there's growing confidence there. Stanford allowed eight sacks against Washington and um, Washington's defense looks strong. So I'm not really sure. I'd have to do a little bit more research to see how maybe Washington and Oregon's defenses stack up. Um, But I think they can, I would say I I think they can hold Stanford under 80 yards rushing that the the mesh concept has not been working well for the Cardinal with EJ Smith out for the remainder of the year. Casey Filkins is going to be shouldering most of the load on the ground attack for the Cardinal. And then the guys they have behind that, not to say that they're not good guys. I don't want to slight them they just haven't played a whole lot of snaps. They don't have a ton of experience. Um, So I think Casey Filkins, it'll be kind of a cool homecoming for him. He was recruited by Oregon, but obviously ended up at Stanford. So I'd feel more confident in Oregon holding Stanford to 80 yards, under 80 yards rushing than I would on the 250 yards passing because Oregon has one of the weaker pass defenses in the entire Pac-12. And Stanford has really, really talented wide receivers, whether you're looking at Michael Wilson, who's kind of been there, their big play wide receiver, or, or Elijah Higgins, who's a little bit more of that uh, wide receiver tight end hybrid that we've come to know from Stanford, come to expect from them. He's like 6'4, 6'5, 230. So he's going to be a, a matchup problem for sure. Probably see Christian Gonzalez matched up against him. Maybe we see some more of, of Triquez Bridges since he's a lengthier quarterback. cornerback. Um, we could see guys like Jamal Hill, Brian Addison coming down in support over the top from the safety spot. Definitely want to give a shout out to Brian Addison because I think with each week that I'm watching this team, I feel like he's making more plays and stepping up to the plate to, to deliver when it really matters the most. Um, So I think that uh, Oregon's secondary has been improving. They still got some things to figure out, but the nice thing about this defense is that the pass rush is taking steps forward each week, which is going to kind of just with like, you know, the yin and yang natural relationship. It's going to take pressure off of those defensive backs to, to really have to cover more. Uh, And you saw um, a pair of takeaways against Washington state. Uh, So I think that this is a game where we could definitely see some turnovers. Stanford has one of the worst turnover ratios in the country. Um, And definitely in the PAC 12, obviously, if that statement applies, Tanner McKee has not done a good job of taking care of the ball. He's also gotten strip sacked. Um, So if Oregon is able to force turnovers and protect the ball, I think that that, that's something that bodes very well for this game to kind of get out of hand in Oregon's favor. Oregon plays really well at home, but at the same time, what have we seen every year? Stanford's a team that will stay in the game if you give them a chance. And I think with with Oregon last year, they had a couple games where they played down to their opponent. Um, I feel like I'm kind of beating a dead drum with that topic, but that happened a lot last year. But I think that's a difference that we're seeing with, this landing staff is that they're getting a better job. They're doing a little bit better of a job. It looks like of getting that buy-in and having guys on their P's and Q's, you know, crossing your T's and dotting your eyes. So I think that if Oregon can prevent the big play and get some pass rush on Tanner McKee, I think that they can hold Stanford for under 80 yards rushing and under 250 yards passing. But they also have one of the better tight ends at Stanford and, and Benjamin Yurasek Yurasek, Um, and Oregon's kind of struggled to defend the middle of the field and, you know, kind of gets attacked in the flats and he's fast. That guy can run. He had a 50 yard sweep play. I think it was week one against Colgate, but it still showed what he could do. Um, so I think that Oregon's defense should be up to the task here. Uh, and we're going to have to see how Casey Filkins does 20 carries. I believe it was over a hundred yards against Washington with, uh, when EJ Smith was out. Um, so we will have to be monitor monitoring that, um, Ruben's here in the chat. Great job, Max. Appreciate you, Ruben. You guys got to make sure you go check out Ranchito Grill. I uh, went to the Twitter spaces meetup there for the spring game back in April, it's either April or May. Uh, but Ruben definitely takes care of everybody and, uh, you know, is an awesome duck fan to know. So appreciate the support Ruben. Hope you're doing well. And, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Let's see. Let's see. All right, I have one more question that I think is pretty interesting for the ones that have already been asked. Um, this one comes from Jugmaster Master General, uh, which is uh, Troy Franklin's dad, Jabbar, uh, with an interesting question. Thanks for the question, Jabbar. What would it take for us to have a rematch with Georgia this season? So I think first and foremost, if you want a rematch with Georgia, um, if you want a rematch with Georgia, I think that's kind of a foregone conclusion that you're in the playoffs, right? And Oregon can still make the playoffs. Even though they only have one loss, it's to the top-ranked team in the country. So I think that perspective's kind of changed about this Ducks team since that first week. You know, you saw some turnovers from Bo Nix. You saw some horrible tackling. Um, You saw the offense not being able to capitalize after driving into the red zone. But Georgia's also just, you know, continued to handle their business so i feel like that loss looks less bad now than it did in week one of course um so i think that for a rematch with georgia you're gonna have to get back to the playoff maybe it's a a one a one versus four seed, depending on what seed georgia can get in the the playoffs um they're looking like a super strong team i think they have missouri this weekend um, but, uh, as, as long as nothing crazy happens, you know, that it's pretty much, it looks like a lock as of right now with how dominant they're playing that Georgia is going to make it back to the playoffs. But what does Oregon have to do to get to the playoffs? I think that you need to continue taking care of the ball on offense because you can't give these teams extra opportunities to stay in games or, or even beat you. Um, you also have to keep continue forcing takeaways. Forcing turnovers on defense, I think that is huge. Um, help out your offense and, uh, you know, get, get some turnovers, get some fumbles. We, we could probably see some of those coming in now that Justin Flo is back in the lineup. Him and Noah Sewell. Noah Sewell looks like he's kind of turning the corner a little bit this year after a little bit of a slow start to this year. Uh, but he's still one of the best linebackers in the country. He was on the preseason Butkus Award watch list for a reason. Um, and then I think that your coverage has to get better. The coverage was was, uh you know, by the secondary, was not where it needed to be. Stetson Bennett was getting the ball out really, really quickly, but uh, a lot of the Oregon defensive backs just looked lost in that game. But that was also the first game of the season, and like we said, that's against a really, really good team. So I think, like I've kind of talked about with the pass rush, if you continue to see that measured growth, that steady growth from week to week, like Dan Lenning always talks about, um, I think that you could be in a position to potentially – get back to the playoffs. I don't think right now that that's super realistic just with the way that Oregon is playing. Um, And look at the way that the PAC 12 is playing as a whole games coming up against Washington and Utah this season. Both of those games are at home. Uh, UCLA is still undefeated. You got them coming to town. You got to go to the desert to play uh, Arizona next week in Tucson. I don't think that's going to be an easy game. That's got PAC 12 after dark written all over it with the six o'clock kickoff with Jane Delora being the quarterback for Arizona, you know, how much of a playmaker he is, uh, how, how much he thrives when he's improvising. Uh, so I think that to get back to the playoffs is what you're going to have to do to get a rematch with Georgia. And then you're going to have to also have something fall in your favor in terms of the matchups and the seeding and the the rankings and all that. Uh, so It'd be interesting to see how how Oregon would fare against Georgia in a postseason game because Georgia just continues to do what they do, but Oregon's still more of a work in progress. But I think that said, that's a that that's a gosh, that's one of my favorite things. I don't know if you guys have realized it when when Dan Lanning's having his press conferences, he'll say something and then he's gonna try to make another point, and he's like, "That being said," I just think that's one of the funniest things. You know, after covering Mario and then now covering Dan you kind of pick up on those little intricacies and like how they act uh when uh when they're getting interviewed um so they're still a work in progress Oregon's definitely a work in progress but all you can do is win the games in front of you just like that game against Washington State last week maybe it wasn't the prettiest game uh certainly but you came up and you came up big and you made plays when it mattered most Bo Nix led that offense back down the field to put up 29 21 points I should say in the fourth quarter and then Mace had that that pick six Troy Franklin had that uh, that crazy 50 yard touchdown catch where he stayed on his feet so there's a lot of really impressive plays that we're seeing from this team but for Oregon to get a rematch against Georgia would be awesome and uh, I think obviously how I feel about that game would have to be determined by how the rest of the season goes for Oregon all right so those are all the questions that I got uh, that I got um, to start the the podcast you know ahead of time I got about ten minutes or so, so if you guys have a question and you're here in the live chat, definitely definitely hop in. Uh, I want to get as many answered as I can, and I want to engage with you guys. Uh, but question here from Slayer, he says, not a recruiting question, but y'all think our O line will still have zero sacks allowed after tomorrow night? I don't think I don't see the trees getting to Knicks. Yeah, Oregon's offensive line is is in, I would say elite company, but they're the only. Offensive line in the entire country now, and all of FBS that hasn't allowed a sack yet. So that's definitely been a talk of this team so far. Stanford's got some athletes rushing the passer. You know, all on that defensive front. Uh, you got Lavani Demuni. You have uh, David Bailey, who is a, a former high four-star All-American from Modern Day. I remember I went down to Modern Day to talk to him last year when Oregon was still making a push in that recruitment, but. He's wasted no time carving out a starting role on that uh, that defensive front, that defensive line. And you also have guys like Aaron Armitage, Stephen Heron. Um, so they have capable guys along that defensive front, but it's just a matter of how how in sync can they play, and where where does Oregon, Oregon's offensive line has all the momentum in the world. So if Stanford was coming off of you know some really good uh, games, you know if they had disrupted Michael Penix. Uh, I think that maybe you would have a little bit more confidence in saying that, okay, maybe I could see Stanford getting a sack here or there. But we also have to talk about Stanford's schedule. Stanford's schedule has been brutal so far this season. You know, you start, start the game against Colgate, against some toothpaste, and then you have a ranked USC team uh, that beats you t- uh, 41 to 28. And then you have your bye week. Getting a bye week that early sucks. That is trash. And then you got to go up to Seattle to play another ranked team in Washington. And you lose that game 40 to 22. And then now you have to go to Eugene, to Ottson, where the Ducks play their best football, where the fans show out and show up. And Oregon's got all the confidence in the world. Like, when was the last time you think an Oregon offense had this much confidence? I'm not talking just about as an offensive line, but just overall, that the theme of balance has been just masterful to see this year. They're obviously still a run first team, and that's what's going to open up the offense. But I think what's awesome about this Oregon team now is that when the run gets shut down, you're not, you know, panicking. Okay, we got to move the ball through the air now. Like, what are we going to do? You know, I just think it's, it's been such a, a, a whirlwind, a 180 from Anthony Brown, who balled out with the Ravens when he was still on uh, their team during the preseason. So I got to give some shouts out to him because he looks like he's totally turned a new leaf since he uh, left Oregon but he was limited I think a little bit I don't even want to say as a passer because we're seeing how gifted of a passer he was with how he was doing when how he was playing for the Ravens and it really did look like some of the play calling was what hampered his ability you know the short checkdowns behind the sticks maybe just going to his first read and then in the Alamo Bowl this kind of I feel like summarizes my point really well in the Alamo Bowl He was just letting it fly. He was playing free. He was playing loose, doing his thing. So I think if Stanford had some momentum and had a game that you can point to where there was some confidence and some production getting after the passer, I think you would be a little bit more confident in saying that maybe you could see them getting to Knicks. But um, I think that with the way that their defense has been playing, with the way that Oregon's offensive line has been playing, I think that we we could get you know get through this game, and uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Oregon still hadn't given up a sack because they are just that good right now. And a big part of that is Adrian Clem, obviously Marcus Harper, uh, the, the guys that have rotated in Jackson Powers, Johnson, JPJ got in. So I, I like being able to see more guys get in. Uh, Josh Connolly got in last weekend uh, on that goal line play where they were did a really good job, you know, basically looking like they were doing everything they could to run the ball, and then they just Think they just lobbed it up to Cam McCormick for that touchdown late? So yeah, great question from Slayer talking about Oregon's offensive line, seeing if they can escape with zero sacks. Ruben says Bo four hundred more, four hundred plus yards, airing it up. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, we could see it. We really could with the big playability of this uh, Oregon offense with with Troy Franklin, and I love the the contributions that the other uh receivers are really making in this offense whether it's Chase Coda, I think he's kind of establishing himself as Mr. Reliable. Not a ton of big plays from Chase just yet, but when he does get the ball, he's reliable hands, he's moving the sticks. And then Chris Hudson, it looks like he's kind of getting used in a couple different ways, whether it's on the sweep or uh maybe a little bit more downfield, some crossing stuff over the middle. I think one of the one of the big things with this passing offense that is such a difference. We talked about, you know, the deep shots, right? And and Bo is having more confidence to take some of those risks as a quarterback. I think you have to look at the scheme and the route running because so many times when Oregon passed the ball last year, the receivers would get the ball and the guy would be right there. The defender would be right on him right away. Now you're seeing these Oregon receivers catch the ball. And they have some room to operate, so that's really good route running by them. And then also just the scheme and how everything is kind of firing on all cylinders and uh, the run game is setting up the pass game. And there's so you can't just focus on one guy. Obviously, I think we're going to see Caillou Blue Kelly, Stanford's top defensive back, matching up against Troy Franklin, Patrick Fields, the Oklahoma uh, defensive back transfer who's with the Cardinal now. I think he might have been the first transfer that the program has seen Uh, as a grad transfer. But I think that I say that because the attention is going to be on Troy Franklin. So we could see some of these other guys really step up, whether it's Dante Thornton or, or chase Coda, Chris Hudson, maybe Caleb Chapman will make an appearance. Dan Lanning was talking about how he could be good to go potentially if he's able to uh, you know, if he's able to to good to go in practice. So we're going to see, maybe we'll see some of these other guys step up uh, in the receivers room. Uh, But there's been just such great play from them. So tip of the cap to Junior Adams. Um, Great to see more more guys that get involved with the tight end room as well, Uh, because T-Ferg's killing it, and then Montebau is killing it. Uh, Patrick Herbert's out there a lot, and so is Cam McCormick. LFBP Fishing says, Go Ducks, what's going on? Thanks for tuning into the show. Joseph says I'm hoping seven is another guy who begins to get more involved this weekend yeah we haven't seen much of seven McGee lately which is kind of interesting because I think he was kind of not really a wild card per se for this offense but looking like a guy who could be an x-factor I think after his strong performance in the spring game like he was someone that you're hoping would get a lot more touches and I don't I'm not saying he's done anything wrong I just think that Troy Franklin's just emerged and kind of cemented himself as the go-to guy through the air. Um, so maybe they get, maybe they get him back uh, involved here and, and get maybe have some plays out of the backfield. Uh, I think that's a great way to get seven involved. Maybe we see him doing some stuff in the return game, but uh, yeah, like Joseph, I, I wasn't even, not to say I forgot about seven, but I, I should have mentioned him. Uh, so I think seven's definitely a, a gamer. He's someone that can make a big impact in this offense and uh, I, I want to see more of seven without a doubt. They just have so many guys that are battling for snaps and, and so many guys that are playing quite frankly, just really good football. So it's, it's hard to uh, you know, not everyone's going to get their shine, but, but seven's a great guy, great character, great athlete. Uh, so I'm excited to see what he does. If he, if he's uh, more involved this week against the Cardinal. Well guys, that'll do it for this episode of the ducks dish podcast. If you are here in the live chat, do me a quick favor Smash the like button, smash the subscribe button, and share the Ducks Dish podcast. That's the biggest way you can support the show. Really, really appreciate it. Trying to do these more often. Uh, so this will be up on YouTube immediately if you guys are just coming here and you want to watch the replay. Uh, and then I'm going to get to work chopping it up uh, for the podcast listeners. But that'll do it for us. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, at Sports, And then go out over and check out all my written content on ducksdigest.com. A big thank you to all of you who tuned in, however you're tuned in. Greatly appreciate your support. And we will see you guys in the next episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast.
0: Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.